0: This episode is brought to you by Chevrolet. Now's your chance to support a team with real grit. The Chevy ZR2 family of off-road trucks. The first ever Silverado HD ZR2 joins the all-new Colorado ZR2 and the Silverado ZR2 for a commanding lineup of off-road ready trucks. Equipped to take on anything this season throws their way. Visit Chevy.com to learn more.
1: I've been in dogs since 1991. We breed dogs that we want to train. I am up here in western Nebraska riding Harleys and training dogs. I don't sugarcoat anything, and if you don't like it, tough.
0: Welcome to another episode of the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. Chris, how are you doing today, buddy?
1: Hey, bud, how are you? It's it's hot, and we are grinding it out right now.
0: Yeah, and you just got back from vacation, didn't you?
1: Yeah, yeah. We went to the Sturges Motorcycle Rally for a, a little while, and had a good time there, and rode around, and the weather was nice and cool. And then we come home, and it's been a hundred degrees every day ever since. So
0: it's,
1: <laughs> yeah. we're we're grinding it out. This is our this is our stretch run. We're um, our hunt test season <laughs> is. is kind of winding down for us for our weekend hrc and akc tests you know we still got you know we'll still run those all the way up into october but it's not like it has been you know the last few months and um my big thing now is preparing for the grand and the master national so with that whole crew we qualified 30 dogs for the master national and i think i'm going to take about 25 to the grand um 20 to 25 somewhere in there i gotta figure that out here pretty soon but our big our my big concern right now is a lot of them young dogs that ryan and andrew are running and julie and and then my big concern is the, is the grand and the master national and getting those guys prepared for the for the crunch time here it's this this time of the year is always really really hard on us we um you know we, everybody's been working really super hard and all summer long and we're tired and it's hot and and we lose a lot of our bird throwers and stuff. They go back to high school, mm-hmm. um, so we hire one, 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 and then another one hopefully here pretty soon. And um, it happens to us every year. <clears throat> and we, um, it just, it's a grind right now. And we'll just push through it, and we'll go wide open until no, you know, November, and and some, you know, a lot of dogs will go home for hunting season, and we'll scale back just a little bit and kind of wind the season down.
0: What is the calendar for the Master National and the Grand? When is that?
1: Um, I knew you were going to ask me that.
0: I you can give it. You can ballpark it.
1: Uh, it's October fourteenth um, through the eighteenth is the Grand, and then the Master National is October twenty sixth to November fifth.
0: And where where are they? Isn't the Grand in Kentucky?
1: Yeah, the Grand is in Paducah, Kentucky. Um, we've been there a couple times. It's a beautiful place out there. They, they had some nice grounds. I got uh, Roger Fields is a real good friend of mine. He lives in that area, so we're excited to see him and Lori. And and it's right there. And then the Master National is in Thomasville, Georgia, um, down in southern Georgia, which I've actually never been to Thomasville. I've been in Georgia a lot, and just north of there and stuff. But there's a lot of field trailers, and it's a big dog community in down in, in Thomasville. A lot of field trailers winter there so there's a lot of really really good grounds and lots of water and it, it'll be an interesting master national i think there's 1200 and some dogs are entered or qualified i think they entered too. 1200 some dogs entered so it's going to be the largest dog event in the in the world um it's always a good time yeah i don't know it, if i can get into the this thing is it just kills us because you know we um we'll be gone about a month and we won't come home like i said on one of the other podcasts i won't come home between the two events so we'll be on the road for a month with the hounds and living the life of a dog trainer
0: and then right back into hunting after that right that's when it'll your break yeah
1: yeah well when i get home um eileen and i'll go on vacation for about a week uh, we do it every every year we go on vacation for about a week and um hang out down in mexico on the beach and do some of those sort of things and then come home and Start hammering on the ducks,
0: right? Have they made any progress with the new AKC rules?
1: Uh, as far as for the, nat- the national, right? Uh, it's it's a cluster. It's um, you don't even want to get me started on that. But um, it's uh, it's a cluster. Um, one of the proposals got voted down. Thank goodness, because that was a terrible proposal of the qualifiers, and that got voted down. And there's a couple more on the table to get voted on. And I'll be honest with you, I hope they all get voted down um i don't think any of them are any good on how to fix it i think i think definitely think something needs to be done but i think there's a lot of knee-jerk reactions and a lot of pressure from from um certain folks to to, to make the master national harder or, or or less dogs in it which to me is a, is a is a good problem to have you know um i just assume seeing them make the master national start it i'd like to see them started earlier it's not mm-hmm. a proposal out there, but I like to see them started earlier and and you know we're there anyway, and that's our job so but um it is what it is and and um you know it's it's kind of a cluster right now and what's there's kind of a little bit of a power struggle I think going on with the master national, which is two bags I really really like the event I really like the most of the people I love our flight Jimmy Hughes does our flight and I love our entire flight It's so fun um much different ma- atmosphere than the grand um uh, a little more laid back and it's a lot of fun, but it, there's some, there's some definitely some politics going on right now with the master national and it's, and it's too bad it's come to that, but um, it is what it is. But I think there's some good things coming hope not this year, but I think I bet next year there's a, a good resolution to it.
0: Right. Well, before we get really rolling into this podcast, I want to let everyone um, know a little reminder that we are releasing videos on the flatlander kennels, YouTube channel, Every Monday, we have a new one coming out. Some of them are Chris training. Some of them are from the seminar. So check that out. Make sure and go and subscribe and also come over to the podcast group, the Flatlander Kennels podcast with Chris Jobman. And if you're listening to this podcast, please leave us a five-star and a review. Helps us out. Helps us get found a little bit more. Um, on the podcast so what do do we have for today chris
1: you know i think what we're gonna do tonight we're gonna keep going through our flow chart um i know we have a lot of questions that came on the facebook page and i'm gonna i'm gonna um talk about three-handed casting tonight Uh, um that won't take real real longs but we're gonna talk about three-handed casting there which is kind of the next step in the flow chart and then i'm gonna answer a few questions to end this to end this podcast and then Our next one, I'm just going to spend the entire podcast answering questions because we got quite a few of them and some really good ones. So, um, but we're just going to talk about three-handed casting. Um, If anybody's familiar with um, Mike Lardy's material, um, you can find this in there too, um, and and stuff. But I kind of tweaked it to how I like to do it. But um, so your your dog now is going through our flow chart. Your dog is through, you know, on leash obedience through collar conditioning. Um, through force-fetch. Um, once they get them out of force-fetch, um, our next step is, is get them out and doing some marking. Like really get them marking, get them run a nice, you know, 100-yard mark or a you 100-yard know, landmark, 100-yard watermark, and, and the mechanics of it. Get, get the mechanics of it down so they're nice and steady, sitting alert, and attentive, and, and you, know, you know, going out and getting the bird, bringing it back, coming in, sitting down nice, and, and I like to do that. And then once they do that, <clears throat> and I like to move in right into three-handed casting. And three-handed casting has got a lot of different names for it. Some people call it baseball. Um, you know, some call it you know just three-handed casting. We call it three-handed casting. And what that basically is, it's kind of like a baseball. So you, you, you sit your dog down at the pitcher's mound, and you've got <clears throat> bumpers that First, second, third, and you're standing at home plate, and you have to. When you start this thing, you have to kind of break this whole thing down, and you want to be in a you want to be in a mode a mode field. Um, the dogs should see the bumpers on the ground. We like to use those three inch havery hexa bumpers um, in our handling field, and the dog should be pretty steady. Your obedience should be really good. Um, because what you're going to do is you're going to walk away from the dog and you're going to toss bumpers for a little bit to get them going and if they don't if they're not steady at all then you're going to be fighting steadiness and all kinds of stuff so they need to be relatively steady and they need to be pretty obedient um, so you're not fighting all that
0: so does the but, formal study training come when does when do you suggest the steady
1: begins well once they are at a force fetch and and some dogs you know their force fetch their 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 retrieval desire will 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 go, get real low coming out of force fetch on some dogs because so they're just you know they're kind of down in the dumps. It wasn't real fun. You know, it's called force fetch for a reason. And once you know they get up and and they come out of force fetch and they their attitude comes up and they're they're enjoying their job again and they're they're pretty steady at the line. That's when I really really do most of my studying. at real real steady stuff mm-hmm. is at that point. But by then you know, their obedience should be pretty dang good, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they've come out of, you know, obedience, collar conditioning, force fetch, and you've done a lot of control work with them. You know, you've done a lot of control work, and it doesn't take them very long to become relatively steady on their marks. Um, now, if they're coming out of force fetch and they're a little bit down in the dumps, you know, we don't, we're not big sticklers on them making those dogs be steady just because it, 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 we need to get their attitude up. So we'll back off on their steadiness and their control a little bit, get their attitude up, and then then re-hit that control um, before moving into, you know, three-handed casting. Mm -hmm. That um, makes sense. So in three-handed casting, you're going to have – I always put my dogs on a long lead, you know, a 30 to 50-foot check cord and with a flat collar, and I I put an E-collar on them too. Um, Now, at this point in the game, I don't use my E-collar unless it's unless it's an emergency. So this this three and a casting is a teaching is a teaching drill. And basically what you're teaching the dogs to do here is when you give a right back, they turn to the right, they're left. when you give a left back, they turn to the left, they' right, and then you get right overs and leftovers. And so you're trying to teach a dog to turn properly with your each each hand. And, and, and that, because that's what you're basically, you're, you're teaching the dog when you start, start running blind retrieves, you want the dog to turn, when you, t- you put your right hand up, they turn to their left, to your right, and vice versa the other way. So that's, this is where we're going to break it down and teach that. And I know a lot of people, there's, there's different ways to do it. Some people go to force to pile right out of, right out of force fetch. And we do a little bit of that, I think you, on the last podcast, I think I hit on that. Just do a little bit of pile work at the very end of that. Um, but then we stop pile work at the, and then until after three in a casting, but, um, so what you're going to do is you're going to put the dog at the pitcher's mound and you're going to have this long tagline and you're not going to have any bumpers in the field yet. And you're just going to put that dog at a sit, a sit stay. And you're going to back away from that dog to about 10 feet. You're not going to go very far at all. And then you're going to toss. We always start teaching dogs our backs first. Back is 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 the hardest thing to teach. So overs are really easy to teach because it doesn't take a whole lot of effort for a dog when you give an over just to run over to the side. It takes more effort for the dog to turn and go straight back or angle back. It, that's harder for the dog than do overs. So we always teach the dogs backs first, and, and, and throughout these these podcasts in, in our in our handling stuff and our in our flow chart you're going to see a rhyme in the reason to why we do things and in our sequence why we do them. Um, and, and you're going to understand that a lot more in the next few podcasts. But So we're going to put the dog at, 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 at a sit sit, stay in front of us on the picture's mound, back up about 10 feet, and you're going to throw the bumper to whichever way, with your right hand or left hand, it doesn't really matter. You're going to throw that at like a 45-degree angle, only like 10 feet from the dog, not far at all, right, and you can do it a couple different ways. Some dogs have a lot of high, high, high drive, retrieving desire. And you're going to hold up your right hand. Let's just say I threw it to the, to the right. And you're going to hold up your right hand, and you're going to say back. Now, they may not move. So if that's the case, you can do a couple different things. You can hold up your right hand, and you can either say back. You can say the dog's name, like Georgie, back. Or you can say fetch, or you know, fetch, back. You just, you've just got to get the dog moving. I don't care how you do it, you're going to get the dog moving. And eventually what you're going to end up doing is getting rid of all the other words and you're just going to use the term back. Once they realize that, it, it's pretty easy to get them to move. So you have no bumpers behind you, no bumpers behind the dog. You're just tossing one to the side, about 45 degree angle back, holding up your hand and you're saying back. And you're just getting the to turn. Now you're holding on the check core the entire time right so if they turn the wrong way you can stop them
0: Mm -hmm.
1: okay that's the main that's a very important you if they turn the wrong way you stop them so you're going to work on that this is your first session you're going to work on that you're going to throw off to the side you're going to say back throw it to the side you'll say back and then it might be going pretty well where you can throw like three of them over there at the same place and use your hand and you say back. And then you may not be able to you may not have to throw another one. you might just be able to say, back and then go get them." Now, you're, there's no other bumpers in the field. You're just throwing one at this point, or you've got a few of them out there if, the, if it's going really well. So then if that's going really well on the right side, then you stop them, and you throw it to their left side, and you do the exact same thing, you know, Georgie back, and you get them to turn that way. Now they, at this point, they may want to turn to the right, their left if they do that because the way they've been turning right you stop them and maybe just throw another one now you're only throwing it like 10 feet 45 degree angle they're not straight they're not straight behind them yet you're just getting them to turn that way with good momentum you're getting them to turn that way because you're going to have some corrections here where you have to stop them with the with the check cord and make sure they're turning the right way so and what you're going to do now is, is once, that's like day one, right? I'm not worried about overs right now because overs are going to be pretty easy. So that's like day one, you know. And hopefully on day one, you might be able to get them to put them bumpers straight behind the dog and, and turn when and you give the right back. They turn that way. I doubt it, but you might be able to. Now, that's you're coming out on, let's just say, day two. So you're going to do the exact same thing, but instead of throwing it, you're going to start the first one at a 45-degree angle, and you're going to say back. And they're going to turn that way and go get it. Now what you're wanting to do is instead of being at a 45-degree angle, you're slowly going to throw those bumpers over the dog's head so that the bumper is directly behind the dog. So it's sitting there directly behind the dog. Now at this point, when you say, you hold up your hand, you say back, you say right back, you go back. At this point, they may turn the wrong way because they really don't see the bumper laying out there. They may so. At this point, if they turn the wrong way, stop them with the check cord. Now, if you have to throw another one back there, then you walk up really close to them, to the right of them. So, if the dog is sitting at the at the pitcher's mound, you walk up to them to their lair left, your right, and you almost almost you don't really force them, but you're like five feet from them and to their left. And you say back, and they'll, they'll turn that way because you're kind of mm-hmm. forcing them to turn that way. And then you just slowly back away, and you just keep throwing them over the, over the top of them, saying back. And they turn, back, they turn. Keep doing that, and then, again, do it the exact same way on the other side. Throw them behind them, give your left back, and they turn that way. You're get, you want to get to the point where you put, like, five or six bumpers back there in a pile, Okay. And you want to get to the point where you're holding onto the check cord and you can instead of throwing the bumper over there, they're facing you, they're looking at you. Now they may want to try to look at the bumpers behind them, they may want to try to look at a Tweety bird. When that happens, you just pull that check cord real quick, kind of like pop it a little bit, and go, and you even just you can even go like, hey, 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 hey. Whatever you gotta do to have them look at you. And when they look mm-hmm. at you, like good, that'll boy, good, good, back, and you cast them. So you're trying to get to, to the point where you've got, like, six bumpers. You've got a pile of bumpers behind the dog, and you're trying to go right, left, right, left, right, left, and they're turning correctly every single time, okay? Mm-hmm. They're turning correctly, and you're still holding the check cord. If they turn the wrong way, you stop them. And, and sometimes you've got to re-throw a bumper in the pile and, and give them the right cast, and they do the right thing. So you, this is like a little bit of a learning curve right here. And so once you can start doing that, and you've got a pile behind them, and that sort of thing, then what I'll do is I will um, <clears throat> put a pile behind them of a pile of bumpers, white ones, so they can see them. And let's just say we're going to do this, and this is how I do it. I if, if I'm going to do a left back, and I'm going to work on a right over. Then when I do a right back, I'm going to work on a left over. So then what I'm going to do now is this: these bumpers are only behind the dog five yards. They're not very far at all right at this point. They're, they're pretty close. So now what I'm going to do is I'm going to go put a pile behind them, and I'm going to have one close to me, and I'm going to go left back, and I'm going to go back, and they're going to turn to the left, and they're going to go back, pick it up. Now, I, I forgot to say this. Now, you can either do one of two things. You can have the dog come to you with the bumper, come into heel, sit down, then walk back out there, sit them down, turn them around. Or you can do like I do. When I turn and I say back and they turn, I meet them where they were at. I mm-hmm. just I wa- I don't let go of the rope. I have a long enough rope. I just walk to where they're at. I have them come to me. I have them front finish in front of me. I just make them sit, you know, looking at me front finish them. I take the bumper. I walk away from them to back where I was at. Does that make sense?
0: So when you set them down, you set them in a way that you have them exactly where you want. So you don't have yeah, to adjust Yeah, yeah,
1: they're looking at me. Like I I walk to mm-hmm. them. They Mm -hmm. they're sitting at the pitcher's mound. They're looking at me, and then I sit them down. Take the bumper out. I walk back to home plate, and I start again. Instead of having them come in to heel, you know, and all the all that, because you're wasting a lot of time and momentum and movement when you start doing all that. So we're gonna. So now we're sitting at the pitchers. They're at the pitcher's mound. You're at home plate. You've got a pile right right behind them. You say back with your left hand, left back. They turn to the left, and now you want to be vocal. You want to have a verbal left back. So you say back. They turn around. They go get it, and you walk out to the pitcher's mound. You meet them, okay? You sit them down. Now, Now you have the bumper in your hand that you just took away from them. You walk away from them. You walk back to, like, the pitcher's mound. Now you take that bumper, and you throw it to the right. And then you're going to do a right over at this point. And... You, you can do a couple different things. They're not going to know what over means. You can say their name, fetch, whatever you got to give them to, like, like we did on backs, but eventually you're just going to go to an over. So you're going to take that bumper, you're going to throw it to the right, and you're going to say over And with a little arm cast, and, and you may have to walk out that way. They might be confused. They might try to run straight back to the pile. Um, more times than not, they'll run to the bumper because you just threw it. Mm-hmm. So then you go out there and let them get that over. You walk back out to the pitcher's mound. You meet them take the bumper out of their mouth, walk away from them. Now you're going to give a left straight back again. So you left straight back, go to the bumpers, meet them back to the pitcher's mound, walk away, take that bumper, throw it to the right, right over. So you're going right and left and right and left. Does that make sense? Yes. So um, now once they've done that well, this is in the same session. Hopefully you're in the same session. Now you can do the exact opposite. You put the pile of bumpers behind them no there's no over bumpers out now you're gonna do right over or excuse me a right back so now you're gonna give a right back now they may run to where that right over was at if they do you stop them you bring them back no sit them down you may have to throw a, pile, a bumper back in the pile over their head which is fine and then you're gonna give them a right back so right back they turn to the turn to the right go back and get it it's the exact same sequence you meet them at the pitcher's mound you walk away you throw the bumper to the left Give them a left over then and then you walk meet them at the pitcher's mound give them a right back so now you're doing right left right left right left with me yep got it okay so we're, we're not using the same i know some people that go right backs right overs right backs right overs i like to break it down so it's very very black and white to them so if i give you a right back you turn to the right then i do a left over so they're not turning the same direction adding that confusion of the overpile and the back pile does that make
0: sense now, yeah what would be a scenario that you would use your e-collar for this you said it has to be um, extreme um
1: if a dog for some reason i really don't like to use it at all at this point but i will if, if a dog you give them that right back and they just don't they know what they're supposed to do they don't want to do it and they they don't want to run to the pile then they get to the pile they maybe not want to fetch it up Now, if if the dog gets to that back pile and they don't want to fetch it up, you know, I'll usually just probably ear pinch them to it. I don't really use a bunch of collar pressure at the pile. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to make that, quote, unquote, a hot spot for them. Um, A lot of times I use a lot of – I'll ear pinch them to it because that's what we did in force fetch was ear pinch. And that's why we ear pinch instead of toe hitch because I'm not smart enough to figure out how to toe hitch When a dog refuses, like in three-handed casting or forest step pile, it's just easier Mm -hmm. for me to grab the collar and ear-pinch them to it. Um, So that's why we ear-pinch in forest fetch. So for
0: the most part, this is just a completely non-e-collar.
1: Correct. This is is a 100% teaching drill. Right, okay. 100% teaching drill. So now you are doing right-back, left-over, right-back, left-over, left-back, right-over, left-back. You've got that down. So the next day you're going to come out or the next two days or however long it's been um, the dog is comfortable. So now what you'll do is you're going to put a, a pile of bumpers, like I think it's five, directly behind the dog at five yards. Now, and then on its right, his. when I say right, I'm talking about my right. To so the right, you're going to put three bumpers out, okay? So we always start with the back. Now, this is... We've just taught this the day before, two days ago, however long it's been. You're still holding on to the check cord, and, and he'll, they'll see the bumpers laying on to the over pile because they can see that in their peripheral vision. So now what you want to do is you're going to start out with the left back, right? So you're going to do left back. You're going to say back, turn to the left, go get that bumper, meet him at the pitcher's mound, come back. Now you're not going to throw one into the overpile. You're just going to say over. And they're going to go over to the over pile now for if at any point in time they get really confused in this just take a bumper that you have and throw it to the pile to get them moving right make it very simple so now what you're going to do you're going to do left back right over left back right over left back right over so i always want to start on a back and i want to end on a back so if i have five bumpers behind the dog you start with the left back right over Left back, right over. Left back, right over. Left back, right over. So, and you always will end on a back. Okay. Mm-hmm. Now, once that you're done with that, go to the other side. Now, I'll put your five bumpers behind the dog again. Put your three bumpers to the left, and you're going to do right back, left over, right back, left over, right back, left over till you're done. So, you see how we're putting together the three piles of, of three handed casting.
0: Right. Yes. Correct. And because this should be about 15-minute sessions. Yeah, right?
1: it's, it's quick. It's okay. quick. Um, and and this is why your your dog needs to be force-fetched really well, holds everything really well, is steady, has got good obedience, because you're doing a lot of control work here. And if they're moving around and you try to throw a bumper and they try to break, now, now you're in a fight and you're grabbing the lead and you're cussing and you're at the park and kids are watching. <laughs> yeah, or, you know, yeah. It's just a horrible deal.
0: <laughs> you get the cops called on you.
1: Been, been there, done that. So, um, back in the day. So, um, yeah, it just, so you have to be very obedient. Your dog has got to be, you know, under control and, and that sort of thing. And they, you know, and if they're not looking at you, they want to look away and they want to look at the bumpers that are laying on the ground. One of the things you can take, like I said, take that lead and, and pop it underneath their chin with that little brass, you know, brass clip or, you know, do whatever you need to do, make some noise, flip a bumper around so they look at you. And when they look at you you're like, "Oh good, and then you then you cast them, okay um, so now we're working so you've got left, straight backs, and right overs so once you got the right over pile, now you're gonna do left overs so you've got right straight backs left overs, okay once you put that all together now this is where it's going to get a little bit harder for them so you're got let's now you're let's move that back pile farther back ten or fifteen yards, okay. When you do that, you may want to do some right and left back so they just run to the run to the back pile because it's a little bit farther away. But the, you might want to make sure they can see the bumpers and now make the overs like 15 yards because you want you don't want them to be super super close because now we're getting ready to do something that's got a ton of ton of um, temptation to go the wrong way. So now what we're going to do is you're still in the long check cord. You're still there at the pitcher's mound. You've got a pile of bumpers behind them. You got a pile of bumpers to the right and a pile of bumpers to their left. So now what we're going to do, we've taught the sequence. We broke the sequence down. We're going to teach the sequence. We've already taught it. Now we're going to run it. So now what you're going to do is you're going to sit there. You're going to hold your lead. And you're going to give like a right back. You're going to go back. They're going to turn to the right. Now if they run over to the right pile, because it's sitting there, if they're running over to the right pile, you have the check cord. No, no, no. You pull them back, put them back on the pitcher's mound, and do one of two things. You can move way up on them, like step way, way up on them, you know, three, four feet in their face to the right, step to the right with that back, and you almost block the path to the overpile. Does that make sense? Yes. So you almost block the path. So now you do that, and now they run, you give right back, They, they run to the back pile, you meet them at the pitcher's mound take the bumper away from them you walk away now you give them a left over that's probably gonna go pretty easy because that's why I said the overs are easier because they can see them they don't have to turn all the way around they just run over to them so you got a right back now you give a left over you meet them back at the pitcher's mound now you're gonna give a right over okay you're gonna give them a right over meet them back at the pitcher's mound sit them down take the bumper now you're gonna give them a left back Verbal left back. And they're probably going to run to the leftover pile. But if you do, just stop them, bring them back to the pitcher's mound, set them down, close the gap, kind of block them, give them a left straight back. They'll run back to the back pile, meet them the pitcher's mound. Now you're going to give a right over. And once they pick that up, now you're going to give a left over. Now after that, you're going to give them a right back. And then a left over and then a right over and then a left back and a right over and a left over and a right see what I'm saying yes. we're, we're, we're alternating hands and in and, and direction mm-hmm. and it's very it makes it more black and white so if you give like a right over and a right back and a right and you're just using the same same arm that's really confusing because some of these dogs are really impulsive they see that right arm moving they're just running right mm-hmm to the overpile most of the time so we want to really communicate with the dog at this point like lots of communication at this point when you see my right arm you just don't run to the right listen to what i'm saying you know right back back means is verbal means drive now we're teaching the dog at this point when you hear me say back that means i want you to drive turn around and go this is at when when we talked about that in an earlier podcast verbal drives right so we're teaching the dog to turn and go straight back with a verbal back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: We want to get to the point in three-handed casting. We want to get to the point in three-handed casting. Or at least I do. I want to use right and or left backs. I want them, all my backs to be verbal and all my overs to be silent.
0: And is that, that's towards the end of the whole thing? Or do you- yes,
1: that's towards the end of the whole thing. I would like to see. All the backs be verbal and all the overs be silent.
0: Hmm.
1: And and before I move on out of this drill, they are gonna do this literally perfect every time mm-hmm. because it's a taught drill, right? It's a taught drill. And and if they don't do it right, they're just being impulsive and maybe they're not ready to move on. And and it, this shouldn't take too long with a nice average, int- and, 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 you know, dog. This isn't too bad. The biggest thing is you, you want to slow down as a handler and a trainer and don't get, don't get caught up in going super fast and, and throwing. This is where you sit down, have the dog give you really, really good. Hopefully the dog will give you really, really good eye contact and you're starting to teach, you know, some teamwork here. Hey, look at me. I'll tell you where to go. You know, verbal drive, silence is overs, And, and that's where we're starting to teach the dog too, where, you know, verbal drives and change of direction is, is silent. This is Mm -hmm. where you see the people go over and the dog goes straight back. Well, because voice drives Mm -hmm. 99% of the time in bad in in the wrong way. So this is where we're starting to teach the dog where silent commands means change of direction Mm -hmm. and voice drives. Does that all make sense?
0: yes yeah it does make sense and the dogs age wise are going to be somewhere between seven and ten months range on all this just depending it, on the. Dog. it all
1: depends yeah it it if they start at six months old with us they're you know they're at i don't know nine ten months it, it, it yeah. i hate to give i hate to give time frames on all that but it all depends on the dog and how fast they progress through force fetch and how you know how well they mark out of force fetch and And honestly, a lot of it depends on their work ethic. If these dogs that, you know, some dogs that fly through everything, they love to work so much. They they cannot get enough. Those dogs are super fun at this. There's a lot of dogs that hate drill work. They hate the yard work. And I'll be quite honest with you, 99% of the time, like the Chesapeake's, most of them, now don't beat me up on Facebook over this deal, (laughs) but most of them do not like the repetition of yard work. They just, they don't like it. They want nothing to do with it. It's boring to them because they're actually very intelligent. And, and so with some of those dogs that struggle with the yard work with their effort because they're bored, you may want to run more marks with them. You may want to run, you know, more fun bumpers. You may want to do something to keep their attitude up. Um, If you have a dog that you see, you know, there's a lot of amateurs and or pros that, that, do a lot of this handling drills or run blinds because it's easy they don't have to have anybody throw marks for them they don't have to have a winger they don't have to have grounds they don't so they do a lot of handling and control work well you see a lot of those dogs get little get pretty sour on this stuff after a while so you got them, if you see your dog getting sour slow down a little bit take a break throw some marks um you know that sort of thing and try to get their attitudes up and if you've got a dog that's um kind of methodical and slow and, and maybe is getting bored that you can see it getting bored. Then you, you amp up your pace. Mm-hmm. Then you get really animated. You get really animated. You get a little bit quicker. You're more of a cheerleader A rah, 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 break out your pom poms, the whole deal. Then that makes it more fun. If you have a dog that's really animated, you know, it's got more, you know, more um, motor than computer. And then you slow down, you get really methodical you get very, very deliberate because the faster you go, the faster they go. And it just mm-hmm. ends up being a nightmare. Right. So if you got a dog real methodical, you speed up, you get more animated and make it more fun. A dog that's really animated, you slow down, make be more methodical, and, and teach them to have some patience a little bit.
0: Isn't normally the high drive dogs love to do all the drills, or do you get high drive dogs that don't like drills?
1: I, I, I'll tell you what: most of the high drive dogs that we have love to. They don't care what they're doing; they just want to do something. Yeah, they just want to do something.
0: Cause that's how Georgie was. She loves every single thing you have her do.
1: Yeah, that's. The, 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 most of the high drive there's, they love to do anything. Right, it's a low drive dogs. That, that you've got to be really careful of because this is the start of your yard work. We, we have piles of steps still to do to run a blind retrieve. This is the very, very beginning of teaching a dog to handle. This is step one. So if, you, if you're trying to do a bunch of pressure and e-color pressure and that sort of thing on these dogs at this point, you're, you're just disintegrating disintegrating them. Now, I will tell you, there are some dogs out there that when you do three-handed casting... They, they lose their luster. They don't like to do it, blah, blah, blah. So what you do is you can – we did a little bit of force to pile in, 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 at the end of color fetch. You can force them on back a little bit here. You take the side piles away, and when you, turn, when you give them a right back or a left back, it doesn't really matter. You say back. They turn the correct way, and then you can nick them and say back again, and you can start forcing them on back. Not mm-hmm. really forcing to a pile yet so much, but I just call it force on back. And that gives them a little bit more pep in their step, a little bit more gumption to do do the right thing and give them a purpose. Instead of just being, you know, lollygagging through this whole thing, you you, you let light a little fire under their butt and you, and you get them to go. Now, once they understand, hey, I, I can't mess around anymore, I got to get going, then get rid of the, you know, back off on the collar forcing pressure and just start teaching again. Mm-hmm. Does that sound right?
0: Yeah, it does. One mistake, a m- huge mistake I made in this process is I was doing the T and the double T and she was doing so well at it. I just kind of stopped worrying about the program and I just started doing cold blinds. Yeah. And uh it and I had to go it took me a long time to go back and undo all the bad habits <laughs> that I created by just kind of going off on my own.
1: It's it's People can go way, way, way too fast in this, and this is the fun part. This is, we're not in transition yet. This is still basics. This is still yard work, but this is the fun part. I, I really, I don't get to do this anymore, but I really enjoy this part of the training because you can really see dogs learning, and you see all the different personalities, and and you you learn all the personalities, but every dog is different. So the the dogs that are the really, really hard dogs to train, to teach, to handle, those are the ones that make you a really good dog trainer. The mm-hmm. ones that it comes very easy to, you think you're the great dog trainer, but you're not, you just got a really good dog. It's the right. dogs that struggle in some of this stuff and, and you work them through it and you figure out, you know, you pull the choke and pump the gas and figure out how to make, get them to run. Those are the dogs that, that are, you'll remember in your career it's not the dogs that fly through this stuff. It's the dogs that are tough that you actually remember that you built into something. Um, and and you're going to notice a lot of dogs work ethic. You'll see the dog that you're going to have in their career at this stage. Now I'm not saying that, you know, if they, if they're slow and lackadaisical in this, they're going to be like that their whole life, but you can kind of see what kind of team player they are. You can see what kind of eye contact they've got. um, all those things and you see that a lot in the in at this stage in the life what else do you think am i missing anything on that
0: um Well, I. I, I you would know better than i would <laughs> I, it, it all makes sense to me i'm trying to think the only thing i can think of just as far as advice to amateurs that i keep going back to is i think a lot of young amateur trainers are so worried that their dog is going to be a complete failure, that it, it brings frustration. And they don't realize that when your dog is a, has a failing days, it doesn't mean your dog's just going to be horrible. Your dog's just going through a learning process. Uh,
1: well, for sure. And, and it's just like human beings, we learn through failure a lot of times, right? If, if the stove is hot and you touch it and you burn your hand, you fail. That's hot. You won't do that again. So we, we learn through failure and so do dogs, dogs learn through failure. If, if, and it's just like, you know, that D one football player that was, you know, King dingaling in high school and dominated in high school. Well, when they go to college, they learn that they're not King dingaling anymore and they get knocked down. It's those ones that get back up and learn from that who end up being great players and the dogs are the same way. Yeah. You know they're going to fail, they're going to turn the wrong way, and you're going to stop them with a the check cord, and it may, it may freak them out, and it, they may get nervous about it, but you guys got to work them through it and, and teach them how to learn, like, And this is where we're starting to teach the dog how to be a team player, learn, pay attention, turn the right way, and, and if they turn the wrong way, you, you correct them. Now you've teach them how to deal with correction and, and, and do the right thing so yeah. um this is the very very beginning stages of this whole thing and this is this is like drill one in in a bunch of drills but um so to recap three in a casting at the very end of it you'll put all three piles out and you'll do right back left over right over left back right back left over right over left back i could go on i i haven't memorized in my head i've done it so much um and, and that's how you're going to do it now you're going to see Throughout this process, this backpile that they're running to in three-handed casting is going to be the same backpile in forest to pile. It's the same backpile in, in uh, mini-T. It's the same backpile in T. It's the same backpile in run-by. And the overs are the same overs in mini-T and T and run-by.
0: And by that, you mean you, you should put them in the exact same location yes. on your if property?
1: You, yes. If you okay. have a training property that you're going to do – your your yard work at it doesn't have to be real big 50 yards long 25 yards wide you can make it work and mm-hmm. that's where you're going to teach the now it's got to be mowed grass and so they can see the bumpers that's where you want to stay for three and a casting force to pile sit to pile meaning t t and run by so I don't do the double T and we'll get mm-hmm. into that down the, you know, podcast down the road, but this is going to be this the exact same back pile is all those and the exact same over piles. Right. So and as you're always, you how I teach this coming down the road, there's a rhyme and the reason for my right and left and right and left and left and right and all that. You're going to see that coming down the road.
0: Yeah. And keep your calm. Frustration yes. and anger has no, Place and it, it can no, ruin.
1: Anger it. and frustration and grabbing them and yelling and screaming has absolutely no place in this. Now, if the dog is giving you lack of effort, you know, run to the back pile, not pick up a bumper, or, you know, run to the back pile and go a different direction. Then you can grab them and you got the check cord. You can rope them up. You know, you can ear pinch them to a bumper in the back pile. Like I said, I don't like to use collar pressure at the pile at okay. this thing because our next step is, is forced to pile. And the reason, and you're going to, the next podcast, not the next one, but the podcast after that will be about forced pile. And um, you'll see why I front finish these dogs. I send them from a front finish looking at me because that's how I started with forced to pile. I don't start. How,
0: how do you front finish a dog if you've, everything you've taught them is to loop back around and Well, heal. it's
1: really easy. They'll come running at you and you just step up on them. And you say sit. They may try to, Run to your side, and that's, a, that's whatever. You just turn and let them sit down, and then you turn right. Right in front of them, and gotcha. it's it's actually really they, they get it super easy because mm-hmm. I'll be honest with you, it's easier for them. They don't have to give a ton of effort to spin in and J hook and sit down at your side. They just come in and sit down. Yeah, so, and dogs are lazy by nature, and so they're just going to come and they'll 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 figure it out real real quick. And, and one thing you don't want to do at this point in in, in training is starting to snatch the bumpers out of their mouth like super fast you know just trying to get done as fast as you possibly can make them sit down sit down calmly deliver the bumper nicely to you methodically nicely under control instead of just snatching it out of their mouth and throwing it because then now you're starting to teach bad ma- mouth bad mouth habits mm-hmm. and so you gotta so all the little stuff be very very conscious of all the little stuff you know sitting square Looking at you, not sitting on their hip, you know paying attention, get them sit square, look at you, eye contact, cast, turn, run, come in, sit down, deliver the bumper, really nice, hold it nicely, take it away gently, you know, do all those little tiny things because you 're teaching habits right now,
0: right,
1: especially if if it 's really hot out i, I don 't recommend doing this if it 's really, really hot out, and, and the reason for that is. Couple things. It's hot. It's hard. It's hard on the dogs. But a lot of times they start developing really, really bad mouthing habits because they're panting so hard. Mm-hmm. And the slobber gets all over the bumpers and it's harder to hold the bumper, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it's, it's, and if you do, do it, you know, um small increments. But um it, in a perfect world, in an absolutely perfect world, you do two sessions a day. Um, if you if you're an amateur and you got time, do one session, do your three-handed casting and your yard work, your handling your yard work stuff, and the other one do your marks. Yeah. Just pick just pick a, pick your poison, um, and, and some dogs can, you know, you can tell the dogs that when they start three-handed casting that just absolutely love it. So if it's not too hot out, you could push them a little bit more and probably get a little bit more done. If you see your dog really losing enthusiasm after you know, 10 minutes, just quit. Some dogs mm-hmm. can go a half hour because they just love it. Mm-hmm. Um, and some dogs, not as much. So you just got to read your dog and, and not try to cram. Your st- if you missed Monday and Tuesday, don't say, hey, on Wednesday, we're going to do this for an hour and a half. Don't, and
0: you suggest, quit. how many days a week do you suggest?
1: As many as you can do.
0: Okay, seven is ideal.
1: Yeah, seven is ideal. Two, two times a day is absolutely perfect. You know, one set of marks one set of handling stuff. Um, but if you c- could only do one of the two, if you only could do one of the two, read your dog. And if your dog is down a little bit, maybe it needs marks that day. If you know, you just got to read the dog. Right. So that's three handed casting. That's our first step in handling, um, teaching a dog to handle out of force fetch. Um, right. It's a really kind of fun thing to do.
0: Yeah. Guys, if you have any follow up questions to this, go to the Facebook group. Because this episode, um, every time we have an episode release, which is every other Wednesday, we put the link to the episode in the podcast group, and that would be a great place to ask further questions, clarification yeah. questions about the well,
1: and Castle. I do a lot. And there's anybody's out there listening that you guys have clubs, AKC, HSC, it doesn't really matter what kind of club you got. I do seminars every year all over the country, and I do a, a two-day – it's my favorite seminar to give I do a two-day in classroom seminar I've got manuals and booklets and the whole nine yards and diagrams and I talk about um, obedience all the way through the yard work and through anti-casting and I talk about all that with the diagrams and um, we sit down and we dissect that on a big whiteboard and really teach it and, and I, that is my favorite seminar to give um, we get a big hotel room or whatever, and get fifty people in there and mm-hmm. talk dogs for two days. So if anybody's out there that wants to have me come out and do something like that, just give me a holler. I had one guy reach out to me the other day about, you know, heading to heading to St. Louis area mm-hmm. to maybe do one next spring. But I, I don't know what kind of seminar he wants me to do. But um, I, I am I do one or two a year, um, and so if you guys want me to do that, I'd be more than happy to come out and, and do something like that. All right, let's answer a question.
0: All right, we've got our master list. Anytime we hear, we get a question, we add it to the questions from audience word document and go down them every chance we get.
1: Yeah, I had one. I found everybody asked me this, and I may as well just get over it with right now on this podcast and talk about it. Let's do Walter Brown's question, second page.
0: He had a couple. The first one
1: yeah about the success of the grand with all the success
0: at the grand i'm wondering if chris has ever ran the srs if yes explain that experience if no why not
1: well what a lot of people don't know is i ran the srs for a lot of years a long time ago Uh, i wasn't the first wave of of handlers and trainers to run the srs i was the second wave and what I mean by that is, is we ran it all over the country. I had a great group of dogs. I ran I ran it. Every event they had, I ran. Because back then, the S-R-S was a little bit different. You had all your classics. You had like six of them a year, and you couldn't miss one. Um, and back then, they'd only take the top three dogs for each classic to the, S, to the crown championship. So you only had like six events to qualify. So, and I've been to the Crown. I've ran the Crown. We had the first dog in Nebraska. Run the Crown Championship. You know, I, I, I had some success in it, and, and I really enjoyed it. Um, how just to put this in perspective on, on how long ago I ran this was, and and for how long I ran it is is really good dog trainers and handlers. You got Lyle Steinman. I ran it before Lyle Steinman ran it. If that tells anybody anything, and he's a he's had great success in the SRS um everybody out there that's a dog person knows who steve endurance is um great dog trainer out of georgia um eileen and i took steven and kendra to their very first lunch at their very first srs event in huntsville alabama we went to zaxby's chicken and i took steven to lunch and just talked to him about how to run the srs and he's had unbelievable success in it so i i i did run the srs i ran it a long time ago before everybody really kind of got into it um and the, the main reason why I, why I quit running the SRS, and I enjoyed it. You know, I love Shannon. Uh, I love all those people. I, I, me and Chris Aiken used to run around together. We had, a, we had a ball doing it. You know, it was always the same handlers. Um, we all knew each other's dogs. We had a great time. You, Scott Greer and all them guys. And the, one of the main reasons why I quit is back then the, the Master National wasn't a title that was recognized by the AKC on their pedigrees. So I would just get master titles on dogs, and I would quit. So I would run the Grand, I would run Master Tests, I'd run the SRS, and I'd run quals. And I was highly successful running Qualls, pretty successful at the SRS, you know, obviously Grand was good and stuff, but um, so I didn't run Master Dogs after they got their master title. so I ran the SRS. Well, once the Master National made the master national title, a title on the pedigree, I had to make a decision. And at about that point in time, they took the SRS off TV. And what a lot of people don't know is the SRS made a lot of our careers. Uh, myself, Rhodey Best, Chris Aiken, Scott Greer, all those guys. Because we were on TV on Saturdays on the outdoor channel, so people really saw us, and they that's kind of what started us. You know, that That was a really good boost to our careers. Well, they took that off TV and even though I did enjoy running it, it was a lot of fun. I had to make a decision because I didn't have enough time to run the Grand, the SRS, Master, Master National quals. So I I dropped the SRS. Um, It was a perfect time in my career to do that and we really started concentrating obviously on the Grand at that time and the Master National, um, which we've been highly successful at the Master National. Um, so we don't run the SRS anymore just basically because I just didn't have time and, and I had to make a decision on where I wanted to go with my career at that point, but I did enjoy running it. We've seen a lot of, a lot of fun places in the world. I spent, you know, we'd go to Max Prairie Wings, Wings Over the Prairie. We would do those big seminars and SRSs behind Max. I ate countless ham and cheese sandwiches at a Walmart on Thanksgiving day because <laughs> we were traveling <laughs> down to there. Um, but that's, I ran the SRS before a lot of people did. I enjoyed it. And, um, that is kind of my SRS story right now.
0: So, so. when would have been the last year that you ran SRS? Oh
1: man. I give don't it a even guess. know. I, 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 Elliot, I can't even, I can't give you the answer. I'm starting looking at Eileen right now. I have no clue. I, I do remember the SRS. I do remember I had big Jake. Jake was in the finals in Huntsville. And um I have the picture of me sending him in on his on his last series at the SRS, but I, I don't I don't remember the year. I, I, do you remember the year? I, I it's been forever. I, I honestly yeah. I don't know. It's been such a long time ago. And I walked away after that event and, and um I sent Big Jake on a big old long five hundred yard, four hundred yard retired and he hunted his guts out and, and um he came back. I said, "You know what, buddy? We're done doing that. You will not have to do that ever again." So hmm. um, it was a bittersweet ending to my SRS career, and, and but those—I tell you what—those dogs I had at that time. Oh man, they were so fun. They were so good. We we did a lot of really cool things in training. You know, really really successful at quals at the time because we were running a lot of that big stuff because of the SRS. Um, but um, I just kind of had to change my change my gears and, and direction. And decided not to run it, but I can't even tell you Elliot how long ago that was. Jake's been gone. Jake, I, mean, I had Jake and dozer and O'Malley and pistol and Brian. I had some, I had some hammers, mm-hmm. um, but I can't even tell you how long ago that was. Okay. Seems like a long time ago. I can tell you that. Right. Yeah. Let's do one more. Um, let's do Joe Haynes' question. The very first one.
0: All right, great. Uh, He said, okay, I put this on the site, but I may be worried over nothing. Here's the question. My pup is bred well, watermark shadow pup, and grandson of Max's surprise, and so on and so forth. He's 16 weeks old. He's not interested in bumpers at all. He might go get one um, two out of 10 times. I've done wing on a pole tied to a string, and he really likes that, but bumpers are not a. And I think he's just really concerned because he's not getting any. The dog just doesn't seem to want to go after bumpers. Yeah.
1: And Joe, it's, it's 16 weeks. That dog's teething pretty hard, too, right now. Um, it all day, lot, don't be overly concerned about this. And in in what ends up happening with a lot of people when they get really, really concerned about this is they start cramming it down their throat, trying to build drive by adding more retrieves and more attempts and more work. A lot of times the best way to do that is back off. Mm-hmm. and let the dog grow up a little bit and if it only retrieves once or twice good then quit um if you know you know the day before it retrieve two good and then stop then stop after one the next day and it probably is teething at that time so if you can do a paint roller that's that's probably a little bit easier on their teeth um if they like birds you know they you said it likes the wing why don't you take those wings and Zip time or something, or put string on them to a the side of a bumper so there's a little bit of feathers in their mouth with the bumper. Um, there's a lot of things to do right now, but one, I will tell you one thing not to do is don't overdo it. Don't cram it down their throat and, and and just relax and let the dog be a dog. And if you're starting to do a lot of obedience on the dog, if you're putting a lot of control on the dog, back off if you if you're making the dog do sit stays and sit for food and, and walk at heel and and try to be a little trained like a robot back back off on all that lighten up a lot on the obedience you know just do fun bumpers keep it really upbeat keep it sessions super super short maybe add a splash water maybe that splash on the water um will 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 spark the interest of the dog but but you have a good thing going because you say it on here um, it likes, am I, am I reading this right? It does like the wings on a pole. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's great. At least it like it's better than not liking a wing. If it likes bumpers more than birds, then we got a real problem. Mm-hmm. But where it likes birds, the bumper thing will come. I, yeah. I would probably strap some wings onto a bumper, throw it for a few times, maybe just throw out in splash water so it splashes and exciting. Um, I really wouldn't worry about it all that much, Joe, just just back off and let the dog be a dog and let it grow up a little bit and 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 if you can get it like some clipped wing pigeons, get it excited about those. But you're worried about the bumpers. Bumpers will come. I wouldn't really worry about that. Just just back off and slow down a little bit.
0: And I think this is another case of what I talked about earlier with amateur trainers just freaking out. It's like, oh my gosh, I've got this well bred dog. It's not. It's just not going to hunt. It's going to be terrible. And I, Chris, out of like a well bred dog, what percent? of pups from a from good breeding just won't hunt and you just can't even take them out or just, garbage. Uh,
1: the, the percentage is really, really low. Right. But, but it does happen. I, I remember I bought a lean Max son. I bought a lean Max son out of Canadian FC, AFC. And I pet back in the day, I paid like $5,000 for this dog. And, and I was all wound up and I was ready to go. And that dog was terrible. It mm-hmm. was big and beautiful. And it didn't want to do anything, Elliot. It—I it, mean, I got to about the season level and quit. It took me two years to do that, yeah. and it—it it, it was just a bad dog um, when it came to all that. But the the odds of that are are really low, um, but it does happen occasionally. But I I have seen some dogs um, that just took a while to grow up and mature, and and once they did, they were totally fine. And like I said to Joe here, the, the 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 last thing you want to do is cram it down their throat and make it a job for them because those mm-hmm. dogs, that's what you got to worry about because those dogs may not come back from it if, if yeah. you don't if you don't just back off a little bit. But the odds are are really mm. low on this dog not, especially if it likes if it likes birds if it likes birds, you're ahead of the game. You're, you're doing yeah. just fine. Yeah, I a lot of it's probably the teething. I'll be quite honest with you because it's the bumpers are hard on their teeth and you know, that sort of thing.
0: Well, we want to end this one off here and then uh, the next one we'll just do a lot more questions.
1: Yep, yep. Let's end this one off here. Um, I, I, I don't have anything unless you do.
0: Well, let me ask you, someone asked me this question recently and I was really curious as to what you would say about it. They asked me, How much money would someone have to put on the table for me to sell Georgie? And I'm I'm curious as to ask you that question about I've got
1: twenty five hundred bucks bring a hole in my pocket for Georgie right now.
0: (laughs) Guess what I said, I said it'd probably have to hit about two hundred (laughs) grand.
1: I'm not lying. I got twenty five hundred bucks, it could be yours right now.
0: (laughs) So (laughs) what would someone have to drop on you to sell flash?
1: You can't. It's $5 just,
0: million, it, $10 million, 20 uh, million
1: Yeah, you can talk about that. Yeah, so, absolutely. yeah, what would it? Yeah, have to Yeah, mean? yeah. It, there's, a, there's definitely a number out there. What um, is it? I don't even have it. I, I'd have to. I. It would. Of all the great dogs in my life, you know the Jakes and the Breakers and the O'Malley's and the Flashes and the Jets and, uh, and to name a few. At that time, the money would have to be ridiculous for me yeah. to even consider it because they're. Right. They're just, there's just, they're just, they're just different dogs, man. And they don't come along every day and they're just, they're just different animals. I mean, but there, there is, there is an amount. (laughs) No one's ever going to offer it. No one will ever offer it, but there is an amount. I'm not stupid. I'm a businessman. (laughs) I understand. But, um, but you, you, you're probably, you don't even somebody there's, you have an amount too. It's just, nobody's ever going to do that.
0: Right. Yeah. I was putting it at about 250000 If it was a family that wasn't going to hunt her and just let her get all fat and stuff, I don't know. You'd have to give me. I can't even imagine what that dollar amount
1: would be. Oh, uh, yeah. It's, it all depends on where it went and who it was right, and, and right. You know, that sort of thing. But um, there's the, the amount's really high. Uh, yeah. Really yeah. High. Right. Hey, if anybody wants to buy a kennel, let me know. I got one for sale.
0: that price is going to be pretty high too. (laughs)
1: Everything's got a
0: price. Yeah. All right. Well, I had to ask you that question. Okay. Yeah.
1: Not a problem.
0: All right. Don't forget the YouTube channel guys. And the Facebook group is where you can find more information of what we have going on. And also my own personal podcast is the North American Waterfowler podcast. I put out a couple episodes a week. So if you're interested in that, look up that too so why don't you sign us out Chris
1: alright guys hey everybody thanks for listening um, join in for our next one Elliot thank you we'll see everybody at the line take that aim
0: got
1: this chord with I'm
0: heavy chains blue mm-hmm. never